What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Cycle 365. It is episode 32, and we are recording this on May 13th, 2020. I'm one of your co-hosts, Simon Voyanos. And I'm Cody Stoffer. And we're here to bring you a variety of content on, the, on today's episode. So we're going to talk about UFC 249, return of... Well, I, I don't I don't want to disrespect other sports that have been going on, but essentially this is the return of sports. Would you agree? I mean, it is the biggest event in at least American sports going on right now that's not electronic. Yes, that's important. <laughs> it really is. But I feel like UFC 249 really didn't disappoint. It was super entertaining from the prelims all the way up. And uh, yeah, so we're just going to cover some of these fights to start off so again we're gonna start off with the only all-female fight of the night it was i want to say it was the straw weight division right yep between of uh, fighters that were ranked eight and nine in michelle waterson and let's say it's carla esparza i really yeah, hope they were, i'm not butchering their name they were seven and eight a seven going, and eight going into it so. Hey, yeah, both of these fighters are pretty good. You know, they're fighters that obviously are contending. This is a obviously a step fight, right? You got to in this kind of fight to you know, get a bigger kind of fight, a more, I guess, you know, a, a bigger that could get you up to the next level when it comes to contending, right? A chance for so, the belt is basically yes. what they were competing for. Yeah, pretty much, just to have that chance. You know, or be considered to have that chance. It's you, you know how it is. So let's see. So we're just gonna start off with how it ended. I would say I, I mean I don't know how else we would start this out. Carla Esparza did end up winning this fight, and some may see this as a fight that was pretty surprising. Like it was pretty close, I would say, and there were definitely some people who would give it to Michelle Waterman just by a little bit. But in my opinion, I think it was pretty obvious that Carla Esparza won the fight. That is if you watch the whole fight. Uh, Cody, did you have anything you wanted to add? I mean, am I wrong here or what? I actually kind of thought that Watterson had a really good chance to win this. I think that really? she was in way more control and I mean, Esparza only succeeded at one takedown the entire fight on I feel like there was 10 or 11 attempts. So Watterson did a great job of staying off the ground and she did a great job. She kicked the heck out of Esparza. I mean, she was landing good kicks to her legs, good kicks to her midsection. I mean, Esparza had a lot of good connections up top and definitely was way more aggressive in the final round. But I wouldn't say it was completely obvious, you know. I think that both fighters were pretty conservative, I'd say, in this fight. And that's I feel like that played to Esparza's advantage because she was already higher ranked and Watterson needed to try and go and get it, but she played uh, way more conservatively. She fought more conservatively. Hey, I feel like Michelle Watterson definitely had her opportunities to win this. Like in my opinion, I think she's a better all around fighter. That's, that's just what I believe, you know, but I mean, like you said, as far as it is ranked above her and she did push the tempo a little bit more. And honestly, I, okay it wasn't super obvious that you know she was gonna win the fight it was still a pretty close fight altogether 
I, if you take in the whole thing, you know, in the first round, I would say that Watterson kind of, you know, she had a pretty good control on, on it until like maybe I'd say the last minute or so when uh, Esparza had that huge takedown. Sure, and then that kind of sort of changed the tides. The second round, I would say that Esparza definitely was more aggressive, and you know maybe some of her takedowns weren't connecting. She she kind of had a weird way of going about it. She was trying to initiate her takedowns from really far away, which kind of just yeah, that was a lot of. Them. I mean that that was a huge reason that that Waterson didn't end up going to the ground is just because the takedown like buildups were so poor honestly so oh, that's facts yeah. and i mean there are times that she had some pretty nice takedowns you know i would say but waterson just had better defense you know it happened but all together in the second round i definitely felt like asparza pushed the you know pushed the tempo and got after it and then in the third round she just finished it off i, I was just gonna say the third round is definitely asparza won the third round like there's no question about that and I think that it shows a lot that this fight came down to one point, you know, like how closely the judges decided it. So I think if that doesn't tell you what you need to know about how close this fight was, then I'm not sure what'll do it for you. That's fair. Do you think uh, the fact that there weren't many fans or really any fans in this crowd because there weren't, I don't think we mentioned that yet. Do you think that had any, you know, influence on this fight? Because I know, how the fans say you could really gauge like uh, which side is has the momentum by their reactions i feel like waterman just didn't have a good like feel or the momentum like i feel like she felt really comfortable that she was ahead most of the fight as she didn't push the push the effort so do you think the lack of fans had was a variable was a considerable variable in the fact that waterson didn't close out the fight Probably as well as she could have because I know the fans is a pretty good indicator of when momentums are shifting and maybe in Waterson's head she just felt like she was ahead the whole time but in reality it really didn't seem that way. I mean you could see that Waterson was pretty disappointed at the final result. She felt pretty confident that with the three points that the first judge awarded her as a difference that she had the fight in the bag. And then to find out that the second judge ruled in favor of Esparza by one point and the third judge ruled in favor of Esparza by three. She's definitely disappointed. However, I think that the fans not being present played more to Watterson's advantage, if I'm being completely honest, because, I mean, the number one thing, the responsibility of fans at UFC is to boo when the fight is boring, when no one's <laughs> yeah. getting hit. Right. And that puts psychological pressure on the fighters to get in and swing more and go for the home run. And I think that that plays to Esparza's advantage, honestly, just because of her tenacious fight style and how aggressive she is and was in this fight that she should be. You know, I feel like she feeds off the crowd a lot more. And Watterson actually benefited from the atmosphere. And I think that if she was going to win against uh, Esparza, it was going to be now. And she just didn't capitalize on a great first round. You know, she just, I think she thought that Esparza was going to be more tired out after kicking her in the legs a bunch. Like it tired out my legs. I could feel like the Charlie horses, <laughs> man. Those legs, yeah. those kicks were ridiculous, but she just didn't capitalize on it and uh, got caught sleeping, I guess. So, but that, that, uh, the fan presence is huge in UFC 
I mean, it's it is huge in any sport, but especially UFC, just to get the uh, ball rolling. I guess. No, those facts, and we saw that in all the fights, most of them about uh, this you know, UFC 249. You know, but hey, I mean, it happened. It's still a fight, though. You know, it's still sports. I mean, as an athlete, you still gotta perform, and I, I mean, it came down to a couple points at the end, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a terrible performance by Watterson. No, it, it was it was entertaining and uh, yeah, but it was a like, solid one. Yeah, and uh, we'll right. probably see Esparza competing for a belt here in the future. And their fight was originally scheduled for April 11th, so they've had a long time to prepare. Very true. Very true. Okay. So moving on, this fight is a fight that. Well, okay, I wouldn't say it was underrated, but a lot of people tuned in and they were entertained. And I felt like this was a pretty entertaining fight. But I'm talking about the fight between Henry Cejudo and Dominique Cruz. And look, I, <laughs> to be honest, I really did have Dominique Cruz. Okay, I mean, I had Dominique Cruz winning this fight. You know, that was my prediction. And so it was a little bit surprising that Henry Cejudo, at least to me, came out in... You know, honestly, okay, I don't want to say dominated, but you know, he he really did well at just controlling all aspects of the fight for the most part, in my opinion. I mean, I think dominate is an appropriate word for this fight. Cruz looked really rusty coming back out, and I think he was coming off of some procedure or something, I believe, between his last fight and this fight. So I think that that might have had something to do with it. And... I mean, for Cejudo, he just came out aggressive and he stayed aggressive the whole time. I mean, his look by the end of the fight is deceptive because, I mean, you know, if you look up like pictures from the fight, he looks pretty bloody, but that was just from like an incidental headbutt. It wasn't from anything Cruz really did on the offensive side of the fight to cause that to happen. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's facts. Okay, so then, yeah, it is fair to say that he did dominate the fight was a little bit of controversy though right it was this fight where the ref may have prematurely stopped it you i mean, saw that too right i felt like it was a little premature i mean i feel like the result it still ends there maybe with just a couple seconds of difference i mean because cejudo is he is on top of him so i think it was only a matter of time before i mean the whole point of like TKO is so that somebody doesn't get KO'd, you know. And yeah. as a viewer, of course, I want I want them to just knock each other out. But at the same time, you know, uh, <laughs> but with the emphasis on athlete slash player safety, you know, I mean, it's definitely a ruling that I can see happening. And I mean, Cejudo still wins this fight, in my opinion regardless of whether the ref stops it there or whether the ref stops it after Cruz is knocked out, so. Right. And that's facts. I mean, no, I, I, I totally get it. So Hudo, I mean, either way, he probably still would have won this fight. So it really didn't matter. I think Dominic Cruz just felt some type of way because well, maybe he felt like he could have gotten away with it because I know it was pretty close to the end of the round too. So maybe he felt like he could survive to the end of the round. Uh, you know, it, it happened the way it did. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot you can do with that. Um, but I mean, yeah. that that's that. I It's not the last that we'll see of Cruz, for sure. But it is the last that we are supposedly going to see of Cejudo. Very true. Yeah. So he did announce his retirement at the end of UFC 249. Well, at the end of his fight. And I hear some people thought it was surprising, but from what I've hear, heard from Dana White and then, you know, obviously some of the commentators and people that are close to Cejudo that this was something that wasn't you know, out of the question. Like it was something that he's kind of been pondering for a little bit. And it just happened that he announced it, you know, after the fight. Yeah, I think that this is a great ending for Cejudo, who secured his second belt, I believe. Yes. Right? Because he went up into this weight class. And, you know, I mean, 33 years old, I don't want to get punched in the head for a living when I'm 33 years old, man. So, like, yeah. I don't, I don't no, blame okay. him. <laughs> no, for sure. Do you think there's a possibility that he potentially comes back after... You know, resting a bit because 33 is still pretty young for UFC for a UFC fighter, I would say. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that the UFC could definitely get one more main card event out of him. If I'm being completely honest, from like a marketing standpoint and from a fan buy-in standpoint. So, you know, and he he's exciting to watch too. So Thanks. he definitely like he sells pay-per-views and. You know, when people are allowed to attend, he puts butts in seats. So I think it'd be smart of Dana White to stay in close contact with Cejudo. And, you know, if we get some new fighter who wants to challenge him, then go ahead. I could see it not not going well for Cejudo, honestly, unless he keeps training like he is in the UFC. Because that's just how it works. You don't, you don't step away and come back in the UFC and just win, really. That's just right. not how the scape works unless you're John Jones, I guess. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think Cejudo should step away, but I could see him still fighting in the future just because, I mean, we've seen it before. So That's fair. I, I mean, I agree. Sure, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure Randy Couture retired like two times. Same with like Rich Franklin. So like... Yeah, I get that. And maybe, you know, this is a fight... That Dana White kind of holds until after all of this quarantine stuff is done because I don't think you want to have any, let's say, huge name, big name fights until fans could actually go and attend because they're losing money off of that, you know? I mean, because, you know, obviously there's pay-per-view and stuff, but, like, people will stream it anyways, so there's that. So I think you know, that's that might be, uh, you know, the plan moving forward. For sure, for sure. All right, so fight of the night. Our boy, Justin, yeah, hey, dude, I was so proud of Justin Gaethje. Look, last Saturday, Cody, eat myself, and then Jesse were supposed to graduate from the University of Northern Colorado. That was the day we were supposed to have our graduation ceremony. Obviously, like most like pretty much all ceremonies in the country have been well, in the world have been canceled and you know it's going to be rescheduled for december but that doesn't make that saturday that much more i guess emotional or weird so i was super excited for ufc 249 because not only was 
Now, it was sports coming back. It was also our guy, Justin Gaethje. Oh, now we're all fellow UNC alum. Uh, he was somebody that came from the University of Northern Colorado, was a famed wrestler over there, and then made his name in the UFC. And, you know, he made UNC proud that day. That, well, okay, I guess that night, if you want to be specific about it. And it was awesome to watch. It was a great graduation present. And honestly, it was just a great fight all around. I was entertained. It was definitely a phenomenal fight and uh, skull bears, baby. But sure. <laughs> I love I love all the articles about Gaethje having to clarify where UNC is. Like they have to, <laughs> they have to clarify that it's the one in Greeley, Colorado. But I mean, Tony Ferguson is not some scrub either. Oh, like Gaethje had to earn this fight, and Ferguson made him work for it. I mean, Ferguson is really tanky, and we saw him get hit relentlessly by Gaethje basically the whole fight. I mean, there wasn't really a dull moment in that fight, regardless of no fans being there. But I mean, another thing that I noticed was that the the coaches and the trainers on the side, they were being pretty loud, honestly. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, when you bring that kind of energy in, you know, even as like a trainer or coach or something, then that can be that we could hear it. We could actually hear what they were saying as watching it online and also like you know just watching them get popped you could hear the thwacks and it was relentless in this match oh yeah no doubt and you know to, to talk on tony ferguson he really isn't a scrub he's see he's the type of fighter that's very annoying to fight against you know like so his athleticism and in, in his fitness is through the roof at least aerobically i would say you know like his stamina and his chin that it's it's insane like the dude really doesn't get tired like really <laughs> like it the worst game plan you could have going into this is trying to tire out tony ferguson he doesn't get tired that's just how that works and then in addition he's very his fighting style is very unique you know like he <laughs> his movements are very you know they're they're quirky i would say he creates a lot of very interesting angles and i would say um scenarios that could happen with his combos are very unorthodox they are that makes it even harder to go up against because tony ferguson's the type of guy that'll wait you out no you're not gonna wait him out and he's gonna like he's the type of guy that could honestly knock you out <laughs> at any given moment if you're not careful you know and i'll be honest the issue with justin gaethje before this fight, I would say was that he would get overly aggressive sometimes, you know. And we saw some of that throughout the five. Well, hold up, it wasn't five rounds, was it? It was four rounds. Right? No, it was in round five. It didn't make okay. it all the way through round five, though. Okay, so basically five rounds, right? So I was right. Yeah, so ba so basically four five and rounds. Half. <laughs> four and a half. Yeah. No, I just, I'm just joshing. <laughs> no, I got you. But um, <clears throat> there were times throughout this fight that Aichi was caught a little bit overly aggressive. Like there were some punches that he threw that were meant to kill. But instead, he just he just whiffed on them. And those are, I mean, you know, those aren't energy savers. Obviously, Th that hurts your stamina when you put so much effort into that. And you could hear his coach tell him like, "Hey." Look, you need to chill out a little bit because you're wasting some of this energy. Like, stay disciplined. And my opinion, Gaethje did a really good job 
like just staying disciplined throughout this whole fight and this you could tell that he put in a lot of work to get better because that was like i said that was something that he struggled with that discipline you know what knowing when to you know turn it off a little bit when to reset knowing when that momentum is you know gone rather than trying to force it and, and that's why he won the fight honestly because he was patient he was oh man he was just great with it honestly he he, he was disciplined that's all i could really say I'm nodding aggressively because you you said exactly what I was thinking. He looked so fundamentally sound in this fight, especially compared to, you know, like you said, what he what he normally does. And I mean, it it was I mean, spectacular for him to stay disciplined and for him to keep staying on top of Ferguson too. Like he was absolutely relentless. Uh I'd say that the biggest scare that Gaethje had came at the end of this second round, I think, when Ferguson hit him with that uppercut. I thought yes. that might have been it, honestly. <laughs> that was a really good uppercut, bro. <laughs> but Gaethje managed to shrug it off, and I mean, that was near the end of the round, so I he just tried to make it to the end and came back out swinging. So, But swinging smart. In a good way. Oh, I I agree <laughs> that there are a couple punches throughout this fight that really got me thinking like wow this might this might change the whole thing you know some game changers obviously Gaethje he's not like he's no scrub like he's an athletic dude he's I mean, not as athletic or I guess how would I say it stamina wise not as great as Ferguson but you know he still has a chin he could take a couple punches but. There are definitely a couple of scares throughout this whole fight. Uh, but altogether, like I said, you know, he was fundamentally sound. Defensively, he was fantastic. Like the slips he would have and, you know, just going one to time those uh, slides and whatnot and blocking and pairing. Like, it was great. Like, he honestly did as good as he could possibly do defensively throughout the whole fight while obviously still having that offensive game to him. Yeah, it was is a great match, and um, you know Gaethje now has a chance whenever things go normal to fight against Khabib, and that'll be the biggest challenge that he has yet. Khabib is, I mean, he's an absolute manimal. He's beat the top guys over and over again, you know, and he's proven himself. And you know, Gaethje hopes to change that, but we'll definitely nice. see what happens. You think because I know there are some people that are okay giving Gaethje the advantage over Khabib as of right now because of this performance. Do you think Gaethje goes into this? Uh, let's say you know go into this goes into this Khabib fight whenever it does happen as the underdog or as the guy that's you know that actually can take this belt away from Khabib. Uh, I think he's definitely going to be the underdog, just like he was in this Ferguson fight. I mean, Khabib's a bad dude. Um, and, I mean, Gaethje, he was on the wrestling team, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, American. he's going to need everything he has if Khabib gets this to the ground because we've seen Khabib do it over and over and over again. And that's another thing that, you know, Ferguson has faced off against Khabib, right? And oh. Ferguson also doesn't mind standing up and fighting. But Khabib is just a completely different animal when he gets to the ground. So we'll see how that fight goes. If I was Gaethje, I would probably try and stay up and not bring it to the mat. No disrespect, of course. 
Oh, for sure. And obviously, Gaethje has that wrestling background. Like, and he wasn't a scrub at UNC too. He he was an All American. He really did help build that wrestling program to where it is now, and it is one of the best in the nation. By the way, I think that's important to point out. Um, yeah, I'm gonna leave it there. I don't want to say anything I'll regret. Yeah, I, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. I think that's excellent. Good yeah. call. Oh yeah. So there, but there are rumors that Gaethje might go up against Conor McGregor first, and I kind of. So I said this months ago because I I got to meet Justin Gaethje right and. I made the post and I was kind of explaining who he was to people who didn't know who he was yet. So yeah, this is the guy who's going to fight Conor McGregor next. And I would love to see him fight Conor McGregor. Oh, I'm personally a huge Conor McGregor fan, which I know a lot of people aren't, but Conor McGregor was probably one of the first UFC fighters that I followed his I've been following his career since like he basically first started. You know? he wasn't the guy that got me into ufc i would say that would probably be george st pierre or bj penn but conor mcgregor was my guy for the longest time and still kind of is my guy i know he makes some stupid decisions but i would really love to see him go up against justin gaethje another you know guy that i like a lot and you know just see what happens because i think that would be an entertaining fight yeah i i personally think that gaethje deserves to fight khabib more just because i mean don't get me wrong it would draw on headlines and it'd be really cool to see but khabib is the champion right now not mcgregor and mcgregor just hasn't shown the same level of commitment to the sport that khabib has and i borderline think it would be even disrespectful to gaichi to not give him the chance to go for the belt like the the combined belt when when those two inevitably face off yeah, no and that's fair i agree but at the same time with this whole corona thing it kind of does oh you know, question like would a gaichi khabib fight do better than a gaichi mcgregor fight because either way well either way if you put on any of those fights you're gonna lose money you'd rather pick the one where you would lose the least amount of money right? i feel well, like more people would rather watch a title fight and, you know, Gaethje McGregor fight. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, they're definitely more accessible to fight McGregor, I believe. So, I mean, that's a good point to bring up. But from a integrity of the sport standpoint, <laughs> that's the one that, that, those are the words I'll use. I, I believe yeah. that Gaethje deserves to fight Khabib, and that should be the fight. But if Gaethje faces McGregor and whoops up on him too i'd be okay with that so i mean i would too not gonna lie <laughs> i really would too but is that is that it do you have any last comments about ufc 249 uh i don't believe so uh, the today while recording there's some fights happening right now i'm pretty sure not main card event obviously but oh some little fights going on right now on Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. Did we timestamp it at the beginning? We did. Oh, well, now they know twice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Petition. Hey, hey, that was our first UFC segment. We've never done this before. 
Yeah, it's only the second time I've even reported on UFC since even starting out song. So look at that. <laughs> look at us. Who thought we'd be here? X. And we both watch UFC and well, you know, boxing too, like quite a bit, I would say. So it's kind of weird that it's taken up to the 32nd episode to do. I mean, I definitely watched less than when I was a kid because Rich Franklin was my hero and watching him get knocked out kind of demoralize <laughs> me but, but we'll definitely do some all-time stuff all-time talk sometime but Ooh, yeah there's there's more coming up i mean if ufc keeps coming on and other sports don't then you know yeah. we'll have to talk about it so <laughs> yeah no for sure all right so coming up next we're going to talk about the g league specifically number of high school prospects Basketball prospects, that is, that have joined the NBA G League instead of going to college. Coming up next. Welcome back to the Cycle 365, episode 32, recorded May 13th, 2020. I am one of your co-hosts, Cody Stoffer. I'm the other one, Simon Voyanos. And Jesse will be joining us a bit later. But right now we are going to be talking G League basketball and what it means for the NCAA. For those who don't know, there have been so far two top 15 recruits who have decided to go to the G League rather than play college basketball. One of the notable ones is Isaiah Todd, power forward who will be playing. He's the 14th highest ranked recruit on ESPN top 100 recruits for basketball. And Jalen Green, the number one recruit, has decided to also go to the G League. Simon, what do you think of these moves from these high schoolers deciding to basically play, I'm going to call it semi-pro basketball over collegiate basketball, and what does it mean for the future of the NCAA and the NBA? So we've talked about NCAA, well, okay, the NCAA in general, and then we've talked about NCAA basketball to a degree because it did come out a bit ago that the G League was starting a new program for basically kids coming out straight out of high school. And I think this is great, honestly, because I, and here, let me let me backtrack a little bit. For Jalen Green, he, he is the top prospect, and he is extremely impressive. He's somebody that... I mean, I, I don't want to say this too much because, you know, I some may see as disrespectful, but oh, no. reminds, reminds me a lot of Kobe Bryant, you know? He's a shooter, he's ultra-athletic, he's and he's tough. Like, he's been that dude for a while, and he's been somebody that a lot of people have seen as as a threat, you know? Like, like he's he's been a consensus number one overall pick type of guy for years now, basically since high school since he started high school, I would say. And he's he's just, he's a bad dude. And so him going to the G League is huge. And I think it'll help his game out a lot more because he's finally going against competition. You know, that that could push him a little bit because some would say that he's had it kind of easy, honestly, playing against other high schoolers because he is that talented. Same with Isaiah Todd, you know, and they're just, I mean, they're killing it on the high school level. So. Uh, a lot of a lot of people did say that they would kind of have like the Zion effect when they hit the NCAA, but or college basketball in general. But 
now they're going to the G League where, you know, they could get their pro career started. And I love it because these are two players that are extremely talented and they need to be pushed like this because I think going to college, like, it's great. But if you're only going for one year, it could definitely get you a little bit complacent if you're not careful. I'd also like to point out that Greg Brown, the number eighth recruit on ESPN Top 100, was considering the G League before signing with U of T. I I want to counter a little bit what you said, Simon, from yeah. a competition standpoint. While I feel these going to the G League is obviously a higher level of competition than high school. I'm not going to disagree with that because I would just objectively be wrong. However, I do think that these cats might be missing out on a higher level of competition that they'd see at the collegiate level rather than at the G League level. Because I mean, these wow. guys, I mean, I mean, these guys, they would have. So let me just list off some of the schools who were recruiting Jalen Green, who offered him a scholarship, Oregon, Auburn, Kentucky, University of Arizona, you know, UCLA, UConn, Villanova. I mean, these are no pushover schools that also see high levels of competition and he would face off against other top prospects in the nation at the collegiate level versus now where he's going to be facing the guys. I mean, no offense to G league players. I mean, they're still significantly better at basketball than I'll ever be, but these are the guys who for the most part couldn't make the league as it, as it stands right now, pre all these recruits coming in. Sure. I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely one way looking at it. I mean, another way is that, like, still in the G League, like, those are the type of players that were still some of the best of the best at one point in college basketball us or, you know, or high school basketball. Plus, they wouldn't be there. And that's so that's how I'm kind of seeing it. You know, like they're a step up slightly from uh, college basketball prospects. Don't know about college basketball teams though because that's a whole different thing you know but I, I would say from a prospect standpoint i think i would argue that you know guys like jalen green isaiah todd are facing dudes who have that experience already who are experienced and are basically pros and can't push them if not physically then mentally okay you know, i might just not be yeah. able to. no yeah yeah i definitely agree with you and as you were talking i was thinking about that i was like well the experience is something that you don't face at the collegiate level. However, I feel that these cats aren't going to be coming in with that drastic of a difference in mental preparedness than most college athletes that do the one and done route. <clears throat> no, I mean, I, I get that. There's I mean, different scenarios for every player and team, obviously. I get that. I think another thing to keep in mind is this whole coronavirus thing has definitely affected sports altogether. There's no doubt about it. And for, you know, high schoolers that basically have been robbed of their senior year and are moving forward into college or, you know, going or semi-pro potentially, I think going to the G League is a little bit more of a better guarantee than going to a college. And I'm saying that because I know there are some colleges specifically in California that are probably not going to compete against teams 
out of state. And that might be a really big deal for some of these players who are one and done and who really need this one season to be a good one, you know? And so Jalen Green is from Fresno, California, right? So, you know, it's not out of the question to say that he would compete against or sorry, he would go to a school in California and then only be limited to California competition. And that might be a problem for him. It could hurt his draft stock. Whereas in the G League, you know, that is something that obviously is funded by the NBA. And there are it's not like baseball or hockey where there are multiple levels of it. It's just the G League, right? So that so th- th- there's basically just, you know, one set of teams for the NBA to sponsor and to help lift up during these tough financial times. And I think that's a little bit more of a guarantee to, you know, to happen than maybe going to college and it possibly not happening, you know, or going to a college and then not playing the type of opponents that you would hope to. Because as of right now, I'm not completely sure if I'm not completely sure if March Madness what happened next year to the full extent as it usually is. I mean, you and I both know that normal means that a vaccine is out, right? And we're probably at at least like the fastest a year away from that. So we could go another year without March Madness. We very well could. And timing is everything about this, especially because the G League their package not only well so this is a phenomenal move by the nba on its part because they know that a lot of these kids don't want to go to college for one year you know uh there's a lot of backlash about it especially if injuries happen you know during that one year in college there's definitely no incentive to stay past one year if you're a top 10 pick so the nba knows this and NCAA knows this, so I can't imagine they're too happy about this. But the this G League package includes up to five hundred thousand dollars for non-draft eligible players, which are high school seniors. Five hundred thousand dollars. If you offered me five hundred thousand dollars my senior year, I ain't going to college, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what? I could buy a college education anywhere with five hundred thousand. And I mean, obviously, that's kind of the deal that Jalen. Green will be looking at. I'm not sure about Isaiah Todd, but they also have developmental programs in place for these young athletes to not get worn and torn their first year. I mean, because Zion's usage rate at Duke probably had a lot to do with, you know, his late start in New Orleans. Wouldn't, Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I definitely would. So, I mean, when... They've put, like, the NBA has been thinking about this for probably a really long time. Like, I'd probably say at least the past five years for how thorough and sound this option is, this alternative is for high school seniors. For sure. Now, honestly, it doesn't just, like, this whole G League deal doesn't just impact, you know, um, teenagers or kids from the states right impact it impacts like all ballers from around the world and so that's where i'm gonna bring in my boy from the philippines kai soto he's a seven footer well okay so he's from the philippines but this last year he did move to georgia to this is a really weird name the scale factory prep school to play against better competition because oh no offense against filipinos 
Okay, actually, let me put this out there first. I am Filipino. My father and my mother are both from there. Manila and Quezon City. Look it up. It's the biggest cities in the Philippines. So there you go. And I've been there too. So I've seen the competition. I've literally played on the streets of Manila. Well, let me say that again. I've literally played on the streets of Manila, like in those outdoor courts. And you know what? It's tough. And it's a whole different brand of basketball. Cody, you've seen me play defense before. You kind of know where, <laughs> how I grew up with, you know, playing basketball and whatnot. Obviously, I was a football player too, so there's that. But imagine that kind of defense, but like, like way more amped, and like you got bigger guys. And oh, you know, like I, <laughs> I'll be honest, like everyone plays basketball in the Philippines, and it's huge, and that's great. But at the same time, Filipinos, biologically speaking and historically speaking, are definitely the shorter Asians in all of Asia. Like the shortest man in the world is Filipino. I think that's something worth saying. And so the fact that he's 7-1, like you really don't have to do a lot to be great at basketball in the Philippines. So coming to America was big. And so for so for Kai Soto to go into the G League and further develop and further, you know, work out in American facilities and get physically stronger and more athletic, I think that's fantastic for him because I don't think he is somebody that could go one and done in the NCAA or even in the G League. I think it's better for him to, you know, base off against tougher competition now and, you know, condition himself to the point where he could compete at the pro level. And so I and there's no pressure because it's the G League, you know, so I think this is a great opportunity for international prospects like Kai Soto to come in and get, you know, that much better and further raise the you know the uh the level of competition in the nba i would say yeah uh i'm gonna back you up on that especially because i'm not gonna call scouts lazy but it's easier to look in your own backyard for talent than it is to look around the world right i mean you you have to rely on other people's word and then your eyes and then you have to fly out and you know teams would I'd say overall, unless you're talking about a Luka Doncic or, you know, some other superstar, they're not going to go out of their way to scout them overseas, right? Or a Dirk. So moves like this for international players are huge. And also I've seen some film on him and he has some pretty nasty handles for being seven feet <laughs> tall, dude. Yeah, so, man. I mean, they got to give him the ball a ton because he's the only... Probably the only guy over six, maybe seven in the Philippines. So there you go. You got to learn how to handle the ball. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited to see that perspective. And I wasn't even thinking about it. And, you know, I could see a lack of cooperation. And I want to see what happens to the relationship between the NBA and the NCAA following this proposition by the G League and this offer. Oh, here, let me ask you this question. Do you think the NBA cares if they take money from the NCAA? No. <laughs> no way. Okay. <laughs> All right. Because, okay, if there's one thing that I really, really like about Adam Silver, it's that he he's one of the only commissioners I've ever seen that's a player-first guy. Like, period. I mean, 
it, other other unions have to work so hard for their players to get decent contracts and the nba contracts are fully guaranteed there's lax policies on a lot of stuff that allows the athletes to have some more freedom they don't i mean they had a meeting with the players to discuss whether they were playing or not i mean do you really think in the nfl they're going to ask the players first if they want to play no bro <laughs> the owners are going to tell them to put on their put on their equipment and go out and play football so i mean it, adam silver doesn't care if he's taking away money from the ncaa and giving it to athletes to play basketball for him and arguably make the g league a pretty strong brand here not only in the united states but internationally i mean i could see i could see the g league being the first bridge to international competition in one league now i know that you know fiba exists and you know the toronto raptors aren't in america but i mean for one league based out of america to have teams from other nations competing as well oh yeah for sure i i definitely get that I mean, honestly, even with just the Kai Soto pick, like, I mean, okay, so obviously I'm still pretty well connected with my own family. And for those of you who don't, <laughs> for I'm those glad of you to hear that you still know, care about your family, Simon. <laughs> no, for sure. But for those of you who don't know, so right now, it's kind of always been like this, but other than my two brothers and my mom the rest of my family for the most part is in the philippines i don't have any other relatives in the states so i know that they watch basketball and they followed kai soto for a while they put me on to him i i first heard about him i would say sometime last year from a, from a relative and you know i could tell you right now that they love the fact that he's going to the g league because it's not quite the nba we get that and, you know, college basketball is a whole different thing and there's restrictions there. But the G League is a little bit more international friendly, I would say, or at least it appears that way. And so I could guarantee you that there are there's basically a whole nation that will tune in to watch not just Jalen Green, because we've all known, you know, the Philippines have known that Jalen Green is that dude. But Kai Soto as well, you know, kill it potentially or, you know, get better in the G League and grow. And that's a big thing. And. I'm going to backtrack to that Jalen Green comment. I don't know if I said this already, but he is half Filipino, and he has come to the Philippines to play, oh my gosh, multiple exhibition, like a ton of exhibition games against some of the pro leagues here. And not here because I'm not in the Philippines, but in the Philippines. And, you know, to the Filipino, pe Filipino people, that means a lot because – the dude's been checked hard by some of the guys. Like, dudes want to play against this dude, physical against him. And Jalen Green, when he was there, he embraced it. And he embraced Filipino basketball and culture. And I could honestly say that Filipino basketball is a huge thing. And it's the most popular sport in the Philippines, even with Manny Pacquiao being as successful as he is as a boxer. Basketball still runs the Philippines, I would say. And I could guarantee you right now that they will support the G League as much as they can you know and that's that's awesome certainly <laughs> i mean he, i mean he kind of hit the nail on the head so there wasn't a whole lot that i needed to say but yeah i i don't really got anything else on the g league so okay well let's talk about the ncaa a little bit here before we before we head out 
Do you think this hurts NCAA basketball or potentially helps it? I've heard both arguments. I think it hurts it. I mean, they just lost their number one recruit to the G League. I mean, imagine if they lost Zion to the G League <laughs> and they already lost LaMelo Ball to overseas. So the more options that there are, the more it hurts the NCAA. I'd say maybe in the short run, but people also love competitive basketball. And if you have less stars, I guess, then that makes for more tightly contested March Madness. But March Madness is already really competitive. So I don't know exactly <clears throat> how, See, maybe where the positives are, I guess. Where, where have you sure. heard the po what what positives have you heard for the NCAA? So I've heard that you know teams might be able to gel a little bit better together without having those one and doneers. I'm saying so. I have guys or teams that have played together for a while and are committed to be there and get better there for a while. So there's potential to see possibly better team basketball and potentially honestly better upsets. You know because maybe the field is a little bit more leveled now and you know that that could be a great thing you know you could see honestly potentially a university of northern colorado upset possibly one of the cali teams because i know some of those california teams really do rely on you know one and dunners or even some of the more blue blood type of teams you know so i've heard that Essentially, this levels the playing field and makes things a little bit more exciting because, you know, ballers are ballers either way. You know, eventually someone's going to have to rise up to the plate and, you know, be the star of NCAA basketball. Fair enough. I mean, I certainly get it, but I definitely think from a marketing standpoint, the NCAA loses out on just those big players. And I mean, they lose out even more. And it's funny that they changed their policy on athlete you know profitability just to still lose to the g league you know so who knows we both knew it wasn't enough i'm i mean this is this is true <laughs> but it's the ncaa might, might finally learn something <laughs> no they're not gonna learn anything <laughs> but they'll do they'll do what they need to do to survive yeah, that's true. I mean, they'll still be okay. They still make billions of dollars a year. It's not like it's I mean, the worst hit. It could go down depending on how big this G League thing gets. But we'll stay it's tuned true. for that and how big it gets. And listeners on the yeah. cycle will be the first to know when next year's top five recruits go to the G League. That's very true. It'll be really interesting to see moving forward. So... Coming up next, we have a really interesting concept that we made up last night, basically. And it's going to be called our Fantasy Fictional Draft. I'll explain it more in the next segment coming up. Welcome yeah. back to The Cycle 365, episode 32, recorded May 13, 2020. I am one of your hosts, Cody Stoffer. I'm the other one, Simon Villanos. And joining us now for this special segment is our other co-host, Jesse Booten. Jesse, would you like to tell them what we're doing? Yes, I would, Cody. All right, so as they just said, I am Jesse Booten. Welcome to the cycle. Um, we are going to do a bit of a fun, a fun segment here um, that we came up with. We are going to 
draft a football team based on superheroes and and just characters that are not football players and have all these magical powers and it's gonna be really fun we'll see who has the best team cody's been bragging all day that he's gonna have the best one so we'll have to see anyways i will uh lay out the parameters here and look, let you viewers know what we're gonna be uh be drafting from and we have a draft board all set up but this is what it's gonna be and then we'll jump right into it so we're gonna draft 11 offensive players today we are going to do uh, 11 defensive players next week so make sure to tune in for that there are the parameters are you can't pick characters from the uh you can't pick the same characters so no ultimate alternate universe duplicates like you cannot just draft a full team of supermans from different universes that would be definitely not fair each character will come with everything that that person has including armors power um weapons and with that sort but we um, are not gonna be doing killing obviously no killing because this is a family show so there are limitations but most of the characters have their and we will see what happens. There will be a one minute on the clock for each each pick. I believe we are doing all 11 picks, well, all 33 between us three in this segment, and then we will go into more of an overview in the next segment. So uh, stay tuned for that. But, but without further ado, you guys got anything else to say about it or did I cover it? Nailed it. Let's do it. With the first pick of the 2020 fantasy... Football League. Fictional. Fictional. <laughs> Fictional Fantasy Football League. It's a mouthful. The Titan Moons will select Dr. Fate, quarterback out of DC Comics. Now, Dr. Fate, this is a guy who can literally warp reality to however he sees fit. He's higher on a lot of draft boards because he's much more powerful than Dr. Strange, and his telepathic powers allow him to throw the ball wherever. And if anyone should try and intercept it, he can simply cast a portal and put the ball somewhere else. His telepathic and telekinetic powers also allow him to read the minds of all of the defenders and know exactly what they're going to throw at him. This is just a few examples of the high potential that Dr. Fate will have en route to multiple league MVPs in this league. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So the second overall pick the fantasy fictional football draft. The Winterfell Star Killers select Thanos from the planet of Titan. Six, seven, seven hundred pound left tackle is gonna beat up <laughs> anybody who tries to come after the quarterback and the running back. Look, man, if this was an actual draft show, this is the film we would be playing. We would be playing the fight he had with the Hulk, where he played around with him before beating him into the ground and forcing him back to his planet like the beta he is. Look, man, Thanos, he is considered the savior among multiple worlds. He is the world snapper, the galaxy <laughs> snapper. And you know what? There was only one possibility where he lost out of billions. And so that basically means that he has a 99.9% success rate as a blocker both as a pass blocker and a run blocker and you know what if his physical attributes don't you know live up to the hype then obviously the infinity gauntlet does where he could literally beat down anybody in any universe so yes thanos to the winterfell star killers excellent choice all right and with the third pick in the cycle 365 fantasy football draft the Comet Commanders take the Flash at running back. Ooh. Straightforward. You see him, now you don't. No one will be able to catch this running back out of, I mean, he's from the Earth. He was just um, <laughs> genetically mutated by a uh, nuclear blast. 
but he's a perfect fit for this offense that's going to light it up on the scoreboard. And um, again, we have no film on this this running back because he was too fast for cameras to catch. So, so um, good luck defenses catching him out. Or so, uh, uh, yes, the Flash will be playing running back for the Comet Commanders. All right. Good pick, by the way, Jessifer. So with the fourth pick, fourth pick in the fantasy draft that the wonderful Cyclecast 365 cast is doing, the Comet Commanders take Captain America, quarterback. Dang. This guy right here can, uh, he's basically a superhuman, genetically I'm made in a lab, I guess. But yeah, I mean, he he knows how to be a leader. He He's commanded an army against the, uh, the good old Thanos that was drafted just a few minutes earlier. He brought him down with the help of his friends, obviously. But this guy just knows what to do. He can take take charge of an offense, and um, he's also a freak athlete. So uh, look for him to do great things for the comp commanders. That that one hurt. Not gonna lie. <laughs> no problem. So with the fifth overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, a Winifel Star Killer select quarterback Superman from the planet Krypton or from Smallville, USA. So here's the thing. Y'all have heard of Cam Newton before, right? This is the OG Superman, or arguably the strongest character in all of universes, obviously. We all know about his superhuman strength, his superhuman speed, his vision, all of the different kinds of visions. And you know what? That looks together a fantastic dual threat quarterback who can dominate on the field, especially with left tackle Thanos blocking for him. That's unstoppable for the Winnifeld Star Killers. So yes, Superman to the Winnifeld Star Killers at number five. All right. With the sixth pick of the Cycle 365 fictional draft, the Titan Moons will select Saitama, otherwise known as One Punch Man. I tell you what, when this guy gets the ball, all it takes is one stiff arm and he's going to the house. Nobody has ever survived one stiff arm from Saitama, hence the name One Punch, because that's all it takes for this guy to get to the house. He also has displayed superhuman speed, superhuman strength, on levels equal to or exceeding Superman. And I tell you what, I don't think he will get tackled once all year because any defender who tries to step up will be flattened immediately. Nice. Oh, wait, is my pick again? Yeah, yeah you're up again. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey. All right. And with the, the seventh pick of this draft, the Titan Moons will select Doomsday, left tackle out of DC Comics. Doomsday has been said to be an immovable object, and that's exactly what we'll hope to do with him here. Nobody will get past him as he's basically a brick wall. He also has spikes sticking out of his body, so it wouldn't be wise for someone to try and engage him hand to hand. And he could definitely bulldoze anybody, lead blocking, having been against the likes of Superman on the strength front. So he will lead the way run blocking and he will keep Dr. Fate nice and clean in the passing game. So with the eighth overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winifo Star Killers select running back Goku from Planet Vegeta. 
Look, this guy grew up on the planet Earth, but he is no scrub. He is one of the most powerful characters of all time. If y'all have ever checked out, um, is it Death Battle, right? Indeed. Am I, am I right there? Yes, Death Battle. He went face to face with Superman. Now he's pulling a KD, or actually he's pulling a LeBron, and he's joining Superman on the Winterfell Star Killers to form one of the most potent backfields in this entire league. Now, this is a guy who has both speed and power and has faced off with multiple characters and heroes and villains that are much stronger than him at first sight. But now he's playing for the Winterfell Star Killers. All right, with the ninth pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commanders take the Beast out of Beauty and the Beast, left tackle. Now, this guy... He is an athlete. Um, he does have fur all over him, but he is ferocious, but he knows how to take care of someone. So look for this guy to uh, block well and <laughs> make sure, <laughs> make sure he um, keeps, keeps Captain America um, just as clean as he did keep his, uh, his lover, Princess Belle. So, um, yes, left tackle, the beast out of Beauty and the Beast. Great pick. All right, and then with the 10th pick in the fantasy football draft, the Comet Commanders take Loki, bad guy out of Marvel, the Marvel Universe. Uh, he'll be playing wide receiver. Now, the reason this pick comes in this early is, as a number one receiver, Loki can uh, duplicate himself into, I don't know, how, countless number of, uh, of themselves, really, so defenders will not know which one is the actual one. But, that, but Captain America and him are on the same page. They, uh, I mean, for, for a point, Loki kind of was an Avenger, so they're definitely on the same page. So Captain America will know where to get the ball. So um, Loki, receiver, the Comet Commanders. With the 11th overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Starkiller select the first female at wide receiver, Captain Marvel, out of Earth, actually. So here's the thing. She's been disrespected for, for, for a really long time now because... Marvel fan gatekeepers love to be sexist. But this is undoubtedly one of the strongest superheroes, arguably the strongest Avenger in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you know what? She has electrifying speed. She has fantastic power and she has great hands. That electrifying speed will play a huge role when catching balls from the likes of Superman. And she is somebody that can take an end around to the house easy fair enough with the 12th pick we are going to see another wide receiver taken off the board we are going to see sonic the hedgehog drafted by the titan moons now sonic we all know he's a he's a hedgehog and he's fast but how fast can he go no one really knows he moves as fast as we need him to go and this is another guy similar to the flash who he just fell a little bit because a lot of critics say that he's a bit undersized, but what he lacks in size, he makes up with great athletic ability with his capabilities of jumping dozens of feet into the air on top of his magnificent speed. And his start stop speed is amongst the best. Back to the Titan Moons. They will select another pass catcher. At tight end, they're going to select Apocalypse. Now, Apocalypse, 
He's been around for a really long time, since the Egyptian time, so he's got some experience on his side, and he knows what to bring to this offense. He has incredible strength and incredible durability, and he also can see into the future. So he knows what the defense is going to come at him with, and he can also speak telepathically to Dr. Fate. So they will have great chemistry straight out of the gate and what should be an unstoppable pair the offensive side of the ball. It's the 14th overall pick in the fantasy fictional draft. The Winterfell star killers select Heimdall out of Asgard. Now this guy is 7-2 and he is arguably one of the stronger Asgardians as he's protected Asgard for for a really long time as he will protect the likes of Superman. He will play right tackle so he'll he'll help shore up this offensive line. He's making an emphasis on winning the ball the Winterfell Star Killers and all at the 14th overall pick. With the 15th pick in the Cycle365 Fantasy Fictional Football Draft, the Comet Commanders take tight end Optimus Prime, a Transformer. <laughs> now this guy, he is a monster. I mean, he can turn into a truck, turn back into a human. He's taller than everyone we've drafted so far. I think he is the biggest person drafted so far. He's way over seven foot one or whatever. He's probably like 14 foot six. So this dude, he can stand up there and as uh, Madden likes to call it, Captain America can throw the ball up there where the kids can't come get it. So with the 15th pick, Optimus Prime to the Comet Commanders at tight end. Then, with the 16th pick in the Fantasy Football Draft, the Comet Commanders take Mr. Incredible, right tackle, out of Disney. He, um, he's the strongest man there is. He, he, he's a big, big body, and he can uh, he can move pretty well. So I think this will uh, shore up both edges of the line with uh, Mr. Incredible on the right and the Beast on the left. I think there are two physical, physically gifted specimens that can uh, move pretty quick. As we can see, this Comet Commander offense is turning into kind of a, a track team. There's a, it's a very speedy team with some um, some big names. So um, look forward to these these guys, uh, you know, putting it to the competition. The 17th overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Star Killers select guard out of Gotham City, Bane. Now, here's a guy who's a real bruiser down low. This is somebody who will help out Goku in the run game as well as Superman. Somebody who has famously broken the back of Batman and has run Gotham City numerous times. But sadly, he has played for a pretty terrible organization as he's taken the most L's. And now he's coming to a very successful program in the Winterfell Star Killers at number 17. With the 18th overall pick, the Titan Moons are going to select Guard Juggernaut out of the X-Men Academy of Marvel. Now, Juggernaut, this is a guy that once he gets moving, he doesn't like to stop moving, so we will see the Juggernaut pulling a lot from the guard position and lead blocking for Saitama. So even if defenders thought about getting near Saitama, they won't have the chance with the Juggernaut leading the way. He does weigh over 400 pounds, and he has been compared to some of the strongest people in the universe. Which leads me to the 19th pick at right guard, which will be the Incredible Hulk. Now, the Hulk has fallen quite a bit in this draft to a lot of people's surprise, but 
but the Titan Moons are going to shore up their offensive line by taking care of the run game and keeping their running back Saitama untouched. The Incredible Hulk was once thought to be the strongest that there was, but his draft stock definitely took a dip after the pounding that Thanos gave to him, but with a position change over to the offensive side of the ball, where he will be leading and allowed to be aggressive at the guard position, the Titan Moons are hoping to maximize the Hulk's value. With the 20th overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Star Killers select Hercules Center out of Olympus. Now, here's a guy who's made multiple appearances in a variety of universes, but he is somebody most known for Disney, I would say. Well, you know, for the most part. He is half god, to say the least, and he has wrestled with the best of them, including Hades and the famous Titans that he did end up whooping and putting back in their place. Now, here's a guy that we'll put at center who is very smart and athletic overall. He's somebody who some might say is comparable to Superman in a lot of ways. He will continue to shore up that offensive line for the Winterfell Starkillers at the 20th overall pick out of Olympus. With the 21st pick in the fantasy football draft, the Comet Commanders take wide receiver Spider-Man out of the Marvel Universe. He uh, can snag really any ball out of the air. Um, doesn't matter where it is. This dude, if it's thrown anywhere in his vicinity, even if it's thrown on the other side of the field, this dude can still go out there and catch the ball. He'll be a great addition to the the, uh, the skill position for uh, the Comet Commanders. They really got a guy that, that's not going to drop the ball ever. Um, they're going for possession and... and He'll get that done for them. So Spider-Man, wide receiver to the Comet Commanders. Which brings me to my 22nd pick for the Comet Commanders in the 2020 Fantasy Football Draft. The Comet Commanders take right guard Reinhardt out of Overwatch. Um, this dude's got a shield that can, you know, put out and block everybody, everybody in the vicinity on the defensive line. Also, when he gets pulling, he has a move where he uh, just shoots himself, I don't know, maybe about 50. 15 yards and anyone in his way is bashed out of the way so leading leading the way with the pulling guard of, of Reinhardt should get the flash the just a little space he needs to bust open to the end zones right guard Reinhardt out of overwatch to the comic commanders all right with the 23rd overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft the Winterfell star killers select Aaron Yeager left guard out of attack on Titan look first glance he's pretty scrawny but wait for him to turn into titan form and he is one of the strongest and most aggressive characters you will ever find across all the universes he's somebody who at first sight coming out of the league was or coming out of college or whatever is pretty raw you know but he has has refined his skill and he's been getting better and he is one of the biggest linemen that the winterfell star killers have selected to further protect Superman as if he needed any more protection. With the 24th pick in the draft, the Titan Moons will select wide receiver Carnage from Marvel. Now, I know that the Titan Moons wanted Spider-Man. He is the golden boy and he definitely stole the show, both from New York University, Spider-Man and Carnage. However, the Titan Moons are still happy with this Carnage pick. Now, he has some off-the-field issues, being a schizophrenic homicidal character, but they're hoping that they can get him to play a bit more disciplined, and he also has a lot of the same capabilities that Spider-Man has, 
and plays even a bit more tenacious. He doesn't avoid contact, he will just run through you, and the Titan Moons are happy to select him. So, with the 25th pick, the Titan Moons are going to stay consistent along Marvel on this front line and take, at center, The Thing. Now, Ben Grimm, as he was formerly known, Ben The Thing Grimm, he's solid rock, and he's one of the strongest there is, and for once, he'll be blocking alongside the likes of Juggernaut and Hulk, making for definitely one of the strongest interior lines that we've ever seen. The Thing was also a rocket scientist and engineer, so he's definitely smart enough to read a defense and will be looking to help out the quarterback by calling out the blitz coverages in case Dr. Fate was sleeping and not paying attention to the minds of them. With the 26th overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Star Killers select fullback Thor from Asgard. Now this is an interesting, uh, this is an interesting strategy that the Winterfell Star Killers are taking here, because obviously they want to run the triple option. So you might as well have basically gods at every level, with Superman at quarterback, Goku at running back, and then Thor at fullback. This is a guy who's bailed out the Avengers multiple times, has killed. Thanos at least once that we know of. So this is an excellent pick for the Winterfell Star Killers. They select another very much godly like person to join their squad. All right. And with the 27th pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commander select Sinner Bowser out of Nintendo Smash Bros. Um, Bowser's going to fit in perfectly on this line with Reinhardt, Mr. Incredible, and the Beast. He's smart. He's got a big body, uh, and he can he can move move people around. Um, he's got a, a devastating attack where he flips on his shell and spins around, just mangling anybody in his way. So um, I think Bowser will be a, a great great addition to this line at center. Um, he can definitely pick out the blitz blitzes. He is a, he is a dinosaur, and but he's one of the smart dinosaurs. So um, Bowser center to the Comet Commanders. All right, and with the twenty eighth pick in the fantasy fictional football draft this pick might come as a surprise to most experts but wide receiver general grievous out of star wars this dude has four arms he can move his body whatever way he wants it to be um so throw it in his vicinity you can even throw four footballs at him he'll catch all four for four touchdowns so this <laughs> this, this receiver out of star wars first star wars taken off the board here will be a great fit for the uh, the pass heavy comic commander's offense <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Want to catch radius, am I right? <laughs> right? Yeah. With the 29th pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Star Killers select the chosen one himself, wide receiver out of Tatooine, Anakin Skywalker. Now, here's a guy that a lot of people would say is kind of a diva. You know, he was labeled the chosen one at a pretty young age. His story is pretty inspirational as he was a slave at one point. But now he is considered the hero of the Republic. And if you want to go that way, well, as the defender of the Empire, he's somebody who has all the natural talent in the world. And he will see more success catching balls from the Man of Steel himself, Superman. 
Bro, if you wanted to go sad NFL story, you could have been like, his mom was slaughtered by sand people <laughs> and his wife died during childbirth. <laughs> I had a lot of burdens to carry on his shoulders, but he's not afraid to carry them and play with swag or something stupid like that. I really thought about doing it, but I was like, I'm going to just chill at the slave part. <laughs> and then be Because that's, that's a lot already. Yeah. Nobody else was a slave that we've drafted so far. I don't think anyone else. Oh, <laughs> so uh, that's so foul. Uh, anyways, okay, so that was your thing. Okay. <laughs> your last two picks. All right, with the thirtieth pick, the la one of the last two for the Titan Moons. The Titan Moons select at right tackle Roadhog out of Overwatch. This Junkertown resident has seen the apocalypse and made it through. He stands at an astounding six foot seven and easily weighs over 300 pounds. Roadhog, he may be called for a lot of holding penalties with the hook that he likes to use to bring defenders close to him, but should he get away with that, he does have a lot of raw talent and also his super move allows him to just push people away. And this is a guy who never, ever, ever gets tired. And with the last pick of the first round for the Titan Moons, the Titan Moons select the mask. Now, this is a guy who flew underneath a lot of radars, seeing that he was a product of the Dark Horse to DC Comics merger. He flew really under the radar. However, the mask as an offensive weapon, not even gonna label his position. He can play wide receiver, running back or quarterback. He alters reality by simply turning everything around him into a cartoon in which he's capable of absolutely anything. Good luck trying to slow down this guy. With the last pick in the fantasy fictional football draft for the Winterfell Star Killers, select a hybrid wide receiver, running back, and quarterback, Silver Surfer, out of uh, out of the Marvel universe. Sure, yes. Uh, here's a guy with arguably a ton of natural speed. He could definitely run with the fastest <laughs> in this league. He runs, he travels at a minimum of 8,750,000 miles per hour, which means he travels, I'm not gonna say that number because I can't, uh, at least trillions more faster than the speed of light. He's somebody who could play wide receiver, running back, quarterback, he could do it all. He's a very versatile weapon that the Winterfell Star Killers will happily select with their last overall pick. And that brings us to the final pick of the first round of the Fantasy Fiction Football Draft. And with the 33rd pick in the draft, the Comet Commanders select left guard Sully from Monsters, Inc. Now, this guy is not going to be very mean, but he is definitely going to fill some holes. I mean, he's going to get that big body out there and not let any, any defensive tackle through uh, this, this stacked line that that the comic commanders have made and again he may not be the biggest lineman in this draft but again as we can look at this comic commanders offense they're going for speed and he fits right into that that category um he's a smaller guy but he's definitely gonna be able to keep up with that high high flying fast-paced offense and get it done on the inside so Sully monsters inc left guard for the comic commanders with the final pick in the first round of the fantasy fictional football draft coming up next we react to each other's offensive picks
welcome back to the cycle 365 this is episode 32 that we are recording on may 13th 2020 it's a wednesday so now we're gonna react to the teams that we've drafted you already kind of heard some of our reactions in the last segment but this time we'll get to you know really really dig deep so so uh, let's start with the person who went for one number one overall which is cody cody so with me and Jesse's teams, what are some strengths and weaknesses that you see? Well, I mean, Thanos is a great pick at left tackle and definitely deserved to be the second one off the board. Arguably could have been the number one pick in this draft. Same same deal with Superman. You know, you have two basically God-tier level offensive weapons, you know. I would say that the only weaknesses that I could potentially see on this line is potentially Bane at right guard. I know that he's he's a bit undisciplined, uh, especially when he gets that adrenaline high. You know, he may commit a lot of penalties, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely intrigued to see where this offense goes with the backfield, especially of Thor and Goku. You know, Thor could definitely lead block. He knows how to hit. And, uh, you know, you have the chosen one who can use the force to get the ball into his hands. And then for Jesse's team, I talked about this a bit during the break. I wanted to take the flash. I should have taken the flash number one overall. He is stupid fast, like insanely fast. And, you know, that's going to be hard. I'm definitely going to have to address that on the defensive side of the ball somehow, some way, because realistically with this offensive line of Disney characters, along with Reinhardt, I mean... <laughs> Comet commanders can run the ball all day, honestly. And then when they want to pass the ball, they have guys who have hands. Not a lot of speed on the outside, but one of them has four hands. So definitely interesting picks for the Comet commanders. I see a lot of strengths. I do know that these Disney guys have a hard time hanging in with some of these other really highly powered guys that we may see go on the defensive side of the ball. So we'll see how they handle the comic book pressure. On the comic commanders yep i would Ooh. definitely agree with cody just going over the comic commanders real fast definitely looking at this this team offensive line will be a weakness but um the goal the goal was to just get the ball out of there before before that's even worried about so i think um i think that's what they were going for so jesse you you talked a little bit about the comic commanders now what are your thoughts on the other two teams here um i do want to say i'll, I'll start with the winterfell star killers um i was going to try and take bane Bane in this draft for my center, um, but he was taken for for uh, the right guard of the Winterfell Star Killers, and I think that'll be a great pick. Yeah, I agree with you, Cody. I think this uh, this is a pretty good offensive line. I think um, coupled with Superman at quarterback. I mean, if Superman's your quarterback, you can basically do anything you want. I really like the Hercules pick at center. I think that's that's uh, gonna go on a, a fly under the radar a radar pick as this uh, season comes into play. I think he will definitely prevail as probably. One of the best um, underrated offensive linemen in this draft. Um, I think him and Thanos are the two best offensive linemen players, and they're both on this this Winterfell Star Killers team. So I think that'll be interesting to look at. One one weakness I do see in this in this this I guess team is the fact that I don't know Thor. I think yes, he'd be a good fullback, but I think he he lacks um, I don't know just the uh, this the mental capacity to. <laughs> to play in an offense um he, he seems like he kind of wants to take everything into his own hands all the time and um i think that could hurt this 
this Winterfell Starkiller's team with all the uh, other other players they have that can make plays. I think Thor is going to be still left out and cause a, a <laughs> locker room issue. So look for that going forward. There are definitely some some guys who like power, such as Thor, Anakin Skywalker, and Thanos. So we'll see how that transpires in the locker. <laughs> yeah, there could be there could be a lot of. Uh, kind of a power pull and we'll see what happened there it could it could either work in, in the star killer's favor or it could destroy their whole team so we will see what happens um and then the titan moons i mean this this offensive line is probably the biggest offensive line i've ever seen in my life so i think that is is huge um for this this titan moons team although wide receiver might be a little bit a bit of a, a weakness here for the titan moons um i know dr fate can just put the ball wherever he wants to but uh besides the likes of sonic um, I'm not sure how well these uh, these receivers will do, so we'll have to see, see that going forward. We'll definitely be leaning on our tight end apocalypse to pick up some of the slack in the passing game because he's the only one who's above six foot out of all the pass catchers, and we're hoping that the mask can step into the passing game and make some plays as well. But yeah, we're definitely a bit small at wide receiver. All right, and that is that is it. So go ahead, Simon. Um, talk about your right. team a little bit, and then. We'll go over uh, the other two teams. All right, well, I feel like I gotta defend the honor of my <laughs> of my team. I know, I know, we have some <laughs> questionable characters. But, you know, we'll we'll have a good coach. You don't know who the coach is yet. We're in the process of hiring <laughs> a good leader who could control the locker room. Also, I like to point out that Superman, Goku. Hercules and Thanos are all great leaders and have demonstrated great leadership, whether they were right or wrong. So I will definitely be relying on them to keep the likes of Anakin Skywalker and Thor in check. I, I, I could see where, where the lack of appeal is uh, sportsmanship-wise with some of my squad. But, you know, we'll, we'll announce the coaching staff at a later date. How about that? All right. So with that out of the way... I'm, I'm going to talk about Jesse's team first. So I'm just going to say, I feel like this team reminds me a lot of a very Bill Belichick Patriots-like offense. First off, you got the All-American and Captain America. You know, he, this guy, if there's if there was a hero that would be Tom Brady, it would be this guy. You know, he was an underdog. Obviously, we, we saw what he looked like before he roided up. And, <laughs> and, and, now, and now he's a hero. Yes, now he's a hero. So... I love his leadership. I love Optimus Prime's leadership, you know, with that deep, booming voice. You know, just the leadership on this squad is pretty good. And then Spider-Man, you know, he's a good guy. So you got a lot of guys who are <laughs> who are who are just good people. There's a lot of leadership on this on this squad. So I like it. I guess if I was to say one weakness, and y'all already talked about it, but you know, the Disney leagues, they're they're the equivalent of the Pac-12 of of, of linemen, I would say, uh, arguably, arguably, you know, they got to prove themselves. I, I would say that maybe there is a lack of nastiness on the line outside of Bowser, probably. So that's that's the only thing I would have to say. But yeah, other than that, it's a very well-rounded squad with a lot of leadership. And it's a very, very Bill Belichick, New England Patriots-esque, if I might say. I will right. say, Simon. I will say, who has won the most championships the last 10 years in the NFL? True. Well, the Patriots. You know, so, like, that, that's what we're Patriots. going for. If that's what we got. That's what we got. It's the that's commander true. way. 
Hey, that's fair, but you know, the Winterfell Star Killers consider us the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> We've had success in the past with some big names as well. So, with uh, Cody's team, I just wanted to say I didn't know you knew one punch man like that because he was <laughs> he was somebody I definitely <laughs> wanted. Loki, he could be the best running back in the entire league. Like I for I really really wanted him, and then you picked him with your second pick. So that was a little disappointing, at least for me. Um, <clears throat> honestly, I mean y'all already hit on it. The lack of height on the squad. I don't see a ton of people outside of Apocalypse who could be jump ball type of guys. So that that might be an issue. But other than that, you know, I'm looking at a pretty solid run game with a very accurate quarterback and and, and a nasty offensive line to say the least. So uh, yeah, oh, they'll be nasty. Hopefully, just not towards each other. Well, you know, that sounds like a personal problem for you. So we'll see. Now, uh, yeah. I wanted to take the time and talk about one under the radar pick for each team. You know, one player that we haven't really talked about per team. So I'm going to start with the Star Killers. I will say Captain Marvel. Kudos to her for being the first female in. Only female. On, first and only so far. <laughs> I, I got you. <laughs> Captain Marvel is definitely a wide receiver that I wanted to look at. Definitely exceeds the capabilities of some of my wide receivers especially in the flight game and you know actually electrifying hands so we'll definitely see captain marvel make some plays and then over on jesse's team loki he's a trickster you know i think that he's going to throw off a lot of cornerbacks you know just because he's really deceptive he can look one way and then be on the other side of the field so look for those two wideouts to make lots of plays for these two teams yeah. <clears throat> want to go jesse yeah, I go ahead. I'll go ahead. All right. So for um, for the Winterfell Star Killers, I think an underrated guy that we haven't really talked much about is um, I mean, we didn't really bring up the Silver Surfer at all. Um, he he is an offensive weapon. He can play anything. Um, he can play receiver, running back. He could even step into tight end if he needs to. Um, he's pretty he's pretty solid there. And um, so yeah, I think the Silver Surfer will will catch a lot of people by surprise and definitely be a guy to look forward to to, to playing against and stuff like that and then for the titan titan moons i gotta say we've talked about this offensive line a ton and i just want to key on on one guy i think doomsday is going to be uh, a great pick i didn't even realize he was on the draft board um but but now that i look at it that's that's an, an outstanding left tackle um and i think that he will will really be one of the best tackles i think he think he's on the level of thanos for for offensive linemen, so I think that was a great pick. So, Cody's team, Titan Moons, I'd have to say the wide receiver Sonic, shortest character drafted, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's definitely the shortest character drafted in this uh, fantasy fictional draft. He's the definition of 99 speed and agility. You know, he's somebody who, honestly, he could, he could be wherever you want him to be, and I think that's somebody who's a real deep threat. You know, he has Tyree Kill-like speed, probably faster because he's a hedgehog. And uh, yeah, and then <laughs> and then for Jesse's team, I don't think we really talked about Spider-Man as much. I would say, but this is a guy that I definitely had graded as the most reliable wide receiver in this entire draft. He will not drop a ball. If it touches his hands, I guarantee you it will stick. And it's not because of sticking; it's because he has great hands. 
And so I think, <laughs> I think, I think this is somebody who, you know, is a reliable pass catcher, very Julian Edelman like, I would say, or Wes Boker like. So, uh, yeah, Spider Man. Okay. So I'd like here's, to say, here's uh, something. I go on. I was going to say, uh, hopefully, Sonic opens the door for fellow three foot three aspiring football players. <laughs> 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 all right yeah you're right okay yeah i mean he's he's a trailblazer just like your fellow star killer's very own captain marvel very true all right so i want to ask y'all this question on your own team so we're not going to talk about each other's teams just yet but on your own team who would you say is the most overrated player that you drafted I simon would you like to start off since you came up with the yes yes yeah i'll go first so most overrated player i'd like to say is uh probably anakin skywalker look we know he's a very natural and gifted you know character altogether. but you know there's definitely some issues there he has a baby mama that nobody knows about along with kids <laughs> Oh, and he, he definitely has uh, some criminal tendencies if, if rock <laughs> if rock the right way, you know. So for the past fifteen or so years, basically since he got rescued as a slave, he's been manipulated by this old guy who it's a little predatorial. I'm not gonna lie, I'm, it's a little predatorial, and there's there's definitely concerns there. So hopefully he doesn't kill the entire team and their kids as well. So. That's that's someone who's a little overrated. Oh my god! Just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying. Poor KD. If you're not careful, Ugh. very impressionable, I would say. Well, on uh, on that note, I'll, I'll go ahead and pick up from where you left off. I definitely would say that Carnage is the most overrated player on this team not that he was rated super high but you know he's supposed to be just as good as spider-man but he has some off the field issues and additionally he sometimes just like pops out spikes and that might get the titan moons into some deflate gate level trouble here so definitely hope we can keep him in check and i mean he is replace everybody on this team is replaceable at this point so if he slips up we may see a different wide receiver take his place all right, and that'll bring uh, bring it to me. I think my uh, number one overrated player on this team is left guard Sully out of Monsters, Inc. He's kind hey. of a big teddy bear, so um, having that on the offensive line, obviously we've talked about how in this offense we or in this <laughs> league we want nasty offensive linemen, and I don't think Sully's going to do that. He um, he loves Boo, and Boo is just a little little girl, so I think that um, Sully oh, is the most overrated player on this Comet Commanders team. Um Look for him becoming a little soft as the season wears on. He might he might succumb to a, quite a few injuries, so we'll have to see what happens with Sully. Sully finna retire early to spend time with his family, bro. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> All right, so now I want to uh, go ahead and go with each of you um, on the other two teams. Say who you think their MVP could be moving at the, uh, by the end of the year. I'll go ahead okay. and start. Go ahead, go ahead. I think we talked about this with the first overall pick in the draft. I think for the Titan Moons, Dr. Fate uh, would be the MVP candidate here on this team. He's He could possibly be the best quarterback in this draft. I mean, I know Superman is on on the Star Killers, but um, I want to have to go Dr. Fate as the Titans Moon MVP for this year. 
And then for the Winterfell Star Killers, I'm gonna have to go out, out on a limb and say Captain Marvel. I think Captain Marvel could definitely win MVP here um, for this team. She definitely has the advantage in the flight game, and I think with Superman throwing to Captain Marvel, I don't think there's much you could do. I think Captain Marvel and Superman are the two MVPs you got candidates you got to look for here on the Star Winterfell Star Killers. What about your personal MVP? Go ahead and try on the um, command. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with the Flash. I think the Flash will uh, get it done in the backfield. He can catch. He can run. He can just no one will catch up to him. So I think the Flash would be the MVP for the Comic Commanders. All right, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and go. And I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but I think Captain Marvel is also my MVP for the Winterfell Star Killers. There's just things that she can do at the receiver position that not a lot of receivers can do. And she could break another barrier by being the first wide receiver MVP that we potentially see. So as for the Comet Commanders, I'm also going to vote for another guy to break barriers, and that's Optimus Prime, potentially being the first tight end MVP. He just, he's unguardable from what it seems. He has some of the best height in this league and you know reliability is something that's hard to come across and i'd argue that optimus prime is the most reliable fellow here in this league and that's why i think that he has a chance to win league mvp as a tight end just because he will have over a hundred percent catch rate don't ask me how but that's happening <laughs> wow you're right cody i was gonna i'll be honorable mention for my team's optimus prime Absolutely. And, you know, Optimus Prime is a guy who's also probably going to rake in uh, Man of the Year, or I guess we're going to have to open the door and call it Living Being of the Year, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sentient Life of the Year, Optimus Prime. Oh, yeah. Did you say your MVP yet, or potential MVP? Oh, my, my MVP is going to be Dr. Fate. It's <laughs> he, he can do anything that anybody else in the league can do it's it's incredible Fair enough. all right so i'll start with uh with yours cody so for the titan moons a potential mvp candidate would have to be one punch man himself uh Sadamop. look this guy's elite he's one of the most elite uh running backs or even just players in this entire league and i think he's somebody who could get it done as a running back receiver and you know maybe even some wildcat stuff there you, you never know for jesse's team for the commanders i would probably have to say captain america could be a potential mvp look he's a quarterback you know all american he fits the stereotype it's, this mvp is basically made for him you know if he if he performs that's that's up to him though so we'll see <clears throat> and for my own team all the love in the world for captain marvel i think she'll be the best wide receiver in this league but at the same time i know the voters i have no idea who they are but i know they're football fans so <laughs> so i'm just gonna say you know the probability that they're sexist is is pretty big so fortunately i would probably pick captain marvel because i'm not sexist but Knowing the voters, I would probably have to say Superman. Look, he's another guy who's uh, your stereotypical All-American. He's a quarterback. He could run it. He could catch it. He could throw it. He could do it all. And so, unfairly, I would say probably Superman, but deservingly Captain Marvel. All right. 
my final prompt, I want to go through each of your own teams and um, just say who you think is is the biggest steal of the draft for your team. Who you think you got a steal on for uh, how how late you picked them or or where you picked them or who you think who you think's going to be the steal of the draft for your team. Do you want me to um, start? I'll, I'll go ahead and go first since I'm the thing. So for the comic commanders, obviously we have to go off of his prime um, MVP candidate in the uh, with the I don't know what would be that. In the make- mid, mid middle of the first round pick. So I think Optimus Prime, who could be an MVP candidate, could definitely be uh, uh, the best pick in the draft. Or Spider Man. I think Spider Man might have to be. Uh, I think it's crazy that he fell as far as he did, and um, to take Spider Man late into the first round is a is a huge steal. All right, I'm gonna have to say that the biggest steal of the draft for for my team is the mask. I mean, the Hulk is a strong candidate seeing that he fell to number 19, but we were stoked to get the mask. We were banking on other teams, just not being aware of them and hoping that our research paid off. And it did. And I think that the mask could also potentially be an MVP candidate, seeing that he could play any position. And, you know, it's not necessarily what he can do. It's what he can make others not do. I mean, this guy has made people who want to tackle him start singing and dancing instead of doing their job. So he might just do the same to the rest of the league. All right, so I will probably have to go with my last pick overall as well in the Silver Surfer. <clears throat> Look, speed kills, and you really can't teach speed. Uh, I was pretty surprised he, he dropped this far, but he's definitely somebody who could be just as fast as the best of them. Um, he, he travels way faster than the speed of light. Intergalactic Traveler, honestly, that's all I could say. And so, you know, that... that that could be a really big advantage for the Winterfell Star Killers. He's very versatile. You can play quarterback, running back, receiver, well, maybe, maybe even some defense. But we won't go there. So uh, yeah, probably the Silver Surfer. The Thor is pretty close too, though. Fullback. I'm uh, I'm getting reports from the coach that I'm yet to hire that he might not just play fullback. He might play some tight end as well. So you never know. All right. So here is my prompt. Out of all the players in this league, so. Out of all the players, what two players will form the greatest rivalry in this league? I could go first if y'all want. But yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> okay, so I know we haven't drafted defense yet. So this is basically just offense versus offense type of rivalry. But I think Captain Marvel will form a rivalry with the likes of Loki and even <clears throat> Sonic because she is the only woman in this entire league as of now. She is the only female wide receiver or player on the offensive side of the ball. So I feel like she will have something to prove and she will talk a lot of trash as well as put up big numbers for the Winterfell Star Killers. So yeah. Jesse, you can go next. I'm I gotta look thinking. for a second. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, I got one. All right, go ahead. I think a big, uh, big rival we could see form here is we've talked about it dur- even during the draft itself is the Hulk and Thanos. I mean, these are two big dudes that are going to both play offensive line, and, and they want to make sure that they are known as the best offensive linemen. Um, and we've already seen the tussle between these two happen, where Thanos kicked the crap out of the Hulk. But we all know <laughs> that the Hulk could could ha- definitely have a comeback. So I think having the Hulk and uh, Thanos on separate teams is going to be a big issue. I think where. Um, some big rivalries could be formed there. Jesse, that's an excellent point. And I definitely was thinking for 
one of my biggest rivalries or beefs it was the Hulk against everybody because he seems to get mad at everything. But for my biggest rivalry, I'm going to have to go with Sonic and The Flash. These guys are both known for their world-renowned speed. And Sonic, you know, he plays every single down with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, it doesn't have to go too far up because he is only three foot three, so he's definitely overlooked, you know, especially with The Flash being average male height. But... You know, Sonic, he's hoping to break down some barriers and prove that he really is the fastest. And that's why his slogan for his latest Adidas campaign is gotta go fast. Sonic signed with Adidas? Heck yeah, Sonic signed with Adidas. Are y'all an Adidas uh, club now or, or team now? Or Can't spell Titan Moons without three stripes, baby. I will say that could lead to another big big issue because Flash did sign obviously with Nike so I think the Nike Adidas rival could definitely definitely come through as the season moves on. It'll definitely feed into it. Interesting. So that does it for this episode of the Cycle 365. Tune in next week where we'll draft not only our defense but potentially announce the coaching staffs. So tune in next week where Jesse will lead us off in the defensive draft for the Fantasy Fictional Football League. And yeah, I'm your co-host, Simon Villanos. I'm Cody Stoffer. And I'm Jesse Booten. Catch you on the flippity flip. Star killers. Go moons. Go moons.